And I would like for the rest of you to turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. I apologize that the um, text in the right margin of your study guide is not correct. We forgot to change that. Those things happen sometimes. But Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, and I'm going to read 9 through uh, 12 for the sake of context, but we're only going to be looking this morning at the opening verse. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Father, as we open the word this morning, I want to ask that you illuminate it for us. Holy Spirit, you who have inspired this book, teach us the meaning and the depth of all that you have placed here and Lord, open our minds and hearts to receive it and to take to heart uh, the teaching that is uh, offered in these verses. We desire, Lord, ourselves to be filled with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I mentioned to you last week that the Scripture can be applied in a variety of different ways, and one of the ways that it can be applied is in um, an example or a model for us to, to follow in terms of how to disciple others, or in this case, how to pray. Remember when Jesus, uh, when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, He gave them a model prayer. And I don't think he ever intended for that prayer to be recited verbatim. Uh, it was not supposed to be the kind of uh, prayer we could mumble in a need, but it was supposed to be an outline, an idea of how to pray and the kinds of things that we ought to pray for. Well, the prayers of the Apostle Paul are very much the same way. They're, they're model prayers for us to teach us something about how to pray, and show us the kind of things that we ought to be praying for. And as we get into uh, verse 9 and following, Paul has already told us that he and the company with him, at least nine people together that we saw uh, in the Scripture, but he and the company with him have been praying, and they have been praying for specific things. And isn't it good that he wrote that down for us? As he told the Colossians, we get to benefit from that. So, as we look at verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In verse 3, he had said, Praying always for you. Now he says, We have not ceased to pray. 
There's certainly a parallel structure here. But Paul adds another word to that this time. You remember how last week we talked about that word prosecute, and um, I kind of took that to the outer limits a bit. But um, this Sunday, as we look at verse 9, there's another word added to the text. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. And the word ask actually uh, has the uh, connotation of to beg or to plead. So, Paul is saying, we're always praying for you, we haven't ceased to pray for you, and we're pleading with God. Um, I read a number of commentators who all agreed that there is both urgency and passion implied in Paul's language. He wants the Colossian believers to know that he has been, along with his colleagues, earnestly pleading before God that certain things would happen. So, what we're learning is that prayer is not a one-time thing. But it is a process. Effectual intercessory prayer is a process. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't pray those quick prayers on the spur of the moment. You remember uh, in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, in the opening chapter of that book, uh, he shows up in the king's presence with a sad face. Now, that's not a good thing. Because in those days, royalty felt like if you showed up in their presence, you ought to be glad to be there. And you should be happy. And if you showed up in the king's presence sad, you could actually be put to death. Well, the king says to Nehemiah, what is this sadness I see in your face? And Nehemiah's in trouble, <laughs> you know. He, he, he has a good relationship with the king, but all of a sudden he's put on the spot. And so, you know, you read throughout Nehemiah these short little prayers, and here's one of them. He said, so I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king. Now that happened just really fast, close together. And uh, he needed help, and he got help. As he was answering the king, he was praying to the God of heaven. Another example would be Peter. When he gets out of the boat, you remember, he says, If you're really the Lord, bid me come to you on top of the water. And it's storm brewing. The waves are crashing around the boat. And Peter gets out and he begins to walk. And he's looking at Jesus. And then he looks down. And he realizes, What am I doing? And uh, as soon as he realizes that, he begins to sink. And he does not go into lengthy intercession. He just says, Lord, save me. And that's a prayer. And that worked. <laughs> because immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed a hold. And Peter was spared from drowning. There are times when we have those singular, short, focused, intense prayers that just go right to heaven and it's a one-shot deal. Uh, but intercession, as a rule, is a process. It's a matter of laying hold of God on behalf of another person or a group of people or a situation and what we call praying it through. Wrestling with God, seeking God, interceding with God, for, a, for a, a situation that needs us to pray it through. And there's some very obvious reasons for this. First of all, people are not just attack, attacked by the devil once and then left alone. You can just 
take almost any situation. Have you ever known the devil to leave you alone after the first salvo? You know, he throws a dart and he says, okay, that's my best shot. I'm out of here. And no, it doesn't happen that way. When you come under attack, it is protracted attack. It's one fiery dart after another, one accusation, one doubt, one whatever. He's constantly messing with you. And so intercession takes that into account. That when we're going through deep water or going through some kind of struggle, the the opposition is not a one-time opposition. It is an ongoing process. Therefore, prayer has to be the same thing. Also, prayer has many facets which develop as we go along. Uh, You are praying, I hope, for the ten people that uh, you have on your list that I suggested to you back in December. And I don't know how that's working for you, but there, there may be a tendency to fall into a habit of prayer and just say the same thing over and over again. But actually, there is an opportunity as we continue to pray for an individual, there is an opportunity for God to expand our horizon. As we interact with that person, we learn new things. Uh, Hopefully, as you've been praying for people, you've been attuned to opportunities to speak into their lives, or you've been uh, cued into what's happening with them. I know that some of the people I've been praying for, and one in particular, uh, about the time I started praying, went into the biggest crisis of his entire life. And uh, as I have talked with him and prayed for him and tried to pay attention to what's going on with him, um, I have seen more and more things to pray for. I gain information, and it gives me insight as to what else to pray about. And so uh, I find myself, God has faithfully reminded me, because sometimes when I'm laying awake in the middle of the night, I find myself praying for this man. And he's just on my heart. And it's not the same thing over and over again as I'm praying for him, because there's an unfolding, uh, I don't mean to use the word drama in any cheap sense, but there's an unfolding drama, there's a process, and God is giving insight. And so the idea here is that intercessory prayer is a process that lays hold of God and holds on praying through a situation. Now, that's not to be confused with vain repetition or with the concept of God being an unjust judge and somehow we have to kind of twist his arm to get what we want. Have any of you heard what a prayer wheel is? Is Sometimes this is used in Eastern religion. Um, it's, it's a wheel that has, uh, well, for lack of a better word, a bunch of clothespins on it. <laughs> and you can clip your prayer to one of those clothespins, and every time the wheel goes around and gets to the 12 o'clock position, when your prayer comes up, they believe it, it goes up. So you clip your prayer on, and every time the wheel goes around, it goes up. And the concept is the more times it goes up, the more likely you are to get what you want. And so, and Jesus said, do not be guilty of vain repetition like the Gentiles, like those unbelievers who don't know God. 
they think that they're going to be heard because of their many words and their repetitious words. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. And so the Scripture is pretty plain that we're not talking about mumbling the same thing over and over. But we're talking about coming into a communication with God for a situation over which we pray perhaps different Scripture every day. Perhaps circumstances change. Perhaps we fine-tune or drill down on some specific uh, concern that we have that we want God to accomplish because He's revealed that to us. And I think that's what we find as Paul uh, begins to express his prayer to the Colossians. He says, these are the kinds of things we're asking for you. This is what we're praying for, that we want God to accomplish in your life. And he says, we are asking, and here's where we get to the, the model part, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, I cannot overemphasize uh, again that effective and fervent prayer is not about getting what we want, but about finding out what God wants and asking Him for it. Uh, we had a, a good discussion in our small group this past Thursday evening, and I, and I just want to bring up uh, a little bit of that that we talked about then and share some ideas with you. If you go all the way back to Genesis, here's my question. Let me state the question before I go back and try to give the answer. God wants and asks him for it. Isn't God going to do what he wants to do anyway? And if I cannot twist God's arm to somehow give me what I want, then what is the purpose of prayer? And there are many people who will say, well, it helps you feel better. It's good to pray. It's a spiritual discipline. And my is, what good is that? If my praying does nothing, <laughs> I'm not interested in that. I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but prayer to me ought to, ought to accomplish something. It ought to do something. It's only going to do what God wants to do. Isn't He going to do that? So then, why should I ask? And I want to share with you a thought that's maybe a little... Book of Acts. Go home and check your Bibles and, and see if you can prove me wrong. Or right, because you ought to be studying it for yourself. But, but here, here's the, the situation. When God made the earth, finished all of creation, and then He created Adam and Eve, and He put them in the garden, read over it. It's yours. Have dominion over it. Have dominion over the birds of the air, over the fish, over all the animals that creep upon the ground, this is your planet. And I believe that as they commune together with God in the cool of the day on a daily basis, 
that part of the so that they could enact them upon the earth in their partnership and fellowship with In other words, God gave the authority of the planet to Adam and Eve. And he respects that authority. And when and capitulated to the lie of Satan and yielded to him, what they did not realize was they surrendered their authority to the devil. Now, why would I say that? One of the reasons the scripture says of Satan, he is the God of this earth, small and he is the prince of the powers of the air. He is guiding countries and nations and people on the planet by his evil scheme. I am uh, not a conspiracy theorist in the political sense, but I most certainly am in the spiritual sense. Is there a plot behind all the countries of the world in collusion to get them to do the same thing? It is. And, and it's not the Illuminati or whatever else. It's the devil. He's behind it all. Now, Prayer enters into the picture because Jesus has purchased redemption, restored us to our rightful places, given us the authority of prayer, and he says, no less than seven times between John 17, he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. My Father, you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you, but notice, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. What Jesus is saying is, I am restoring authority through the cross back to you as you become the church. I am giving authority. And that authority can be exercised through the process of prayer. And when we get hold of God and find out what He wants to do, He still respects the structure that he established. And it is my own belief, and, and again, you're free to, to check me out on this, but it is my own belief that God will not act on this earth until someone asks him to do so. Now, I think you can go through the scripture and find that there were people praying for all the whole unfolding plan of redemption. And as God began to lay it out and began to reveal it to man, that there were people praying for that. And I'm not in any sense suggesting that God is not sovereign. He looks for intercessors. He looks for people to pray to whom he can reveal his will. And I guarantee you that the return of Jesus Christ is not going to be delayed because Ron or Cody or Tom or Dorothy forgot to pray for it. The return of Jesus Christ is a fixed event. We don't know the date, but God knows. But there are people all over the planet praying for the return of Jesus Christ. Yearning for His return. Longing for His return. The big things God is going to accomplish because there are always people in His church that have the vision. 
But listen, that person in your neighborhood, you may be the only one praying for them. You may be the one that God has given the vision and the burden. And prayer is essential. And so when we pray, it's not that we are trying to get God to do what we want, it's that we are bringing a matter before God to find out what He wants to do. And in the process of doing that, we are asking Him, Lord, what do you want to do here? Or because we know the Scriptures, we are saying, God, this is what needs to be done here according to your Word. And this is what I want to ask for, for uh, to happen in this situation. And so we pray as a partnership with God to see His will and purposes accomplished on the earth. And isn't that what Jesus taught in the model prayer? Pray then like this, Our Father, who art in heaven, Your name is holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth like it is already being done in heaven. That is how we're to pray. So Paul says, I want to pray that you'll be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, when I say pray for the knowledge of His will, why is that important? And what does it encompass? Well, the knowledge of the will of God is not just the idea of what you personally should do. But the knowledge of the will of God is having an understanding of what God's purposes are in the world. God's purposes around you. God's purposes through Christ. And it includes understanding the truth of the gospel. Notice that Paul goes on to pray in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Remember what he says to the Corinthian church. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. That it means it requires the Holy Spirit to understand spiritual truth. Can't, you can't figure it out with your own brain. The natural man can't figure this stuff out. It's not that it isn't logical or that, that you need special glasses to read the Bible. It's that when you read it and the plain meaning of it comes forth, it doesn't make sense. To the, to the natural man. It doesn't seem like this is the way to get ahead. This is the way to accomplish things. The natural man mind does not uh, understand the things of the Spirit. So Paul says, I'm praying that filled with the knowledge of His will, you'll have spiritual wisdom and understanding because you need the Holy Spirit to make this plain to you. And in that prayer, there is both knowledge and application. Spiritual understanding is so that you'll perceive the will of God. And wisdom is so that you'll make wise choices on the basis of what you understand. It's both knowledge and practice. There are two errors that the church makes. And at one time or another, we tend as a people to, to move in one direction or another. One of the errors the church makes is to emphasize doctrine over experience. In other words, orthodoxy 
right doctrine, right teaching, that's where it's at. And we forget that we're supposed to have a relationship with God that is personal and intimate and filled with experience. And so if you emphasize orthodoxy or doctrine over relationship, you end up with the Ephesian church where Jesus says, you've tried those who claim to be apostles and you found they weren't. You've checked out the doctrine and and you've gotten all that straight, but you have no passion. You've left your first love. I have this against you. You're not in love with me anymore. You've got sound doctrine, but you're cold as ice. And there's nothing going on inside of your heart. Go back and remember where you have fallen and and do those things you did at first that your passion can be kindled. So if we only have knowledge, we're still missing the relationship. And there are a lot of people that have the right ideas and, and are just cold. In fact, I'm not even sure all of them are even born again. They can tell you the truth about Scripture, but they've never had that personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, the other side of the problem, and I think it's the problem the church is facing today, is to emphasize experience over doctrine. Where you say, what counts is how I feel. What counts is that I'm having experiences with God. What counts is that, that I'm, I, I'm connected in a relational way. <clears throat> and, and all the teaching, well, that's not so important. Friends, if you are locked into having an experience, but it isn't grounded in biblical truth, eventually your emotions are going to lead you way off the path. And what you end up with is not going to be biblical Christianity. You're going to have some kind of religion going on with yourself that's all wrapped up in your feelings. Emotions will never lead you right. God gave them to us to enhance the experience of relationship, but it's never going to lead you to the right place. And so Paul says, I'm praying for you, Because the Colossians were being tempted by false teachers to embrace a philosophy that was going to take them in the wrong direction. And he says, I'm praying for you, that you can have spiritual understanding. I want your eyes to be opened. I want you to see the truth. You need to think rightly about Jesus Christ. You need to think rightly about the gospel. You need to think rightly about heaven and hell. You need, to, you need to know these things. But you also need to make good choices that arise out of a relationship with God. On the basis of your knowledge, you need spiritual wisdom. Wisdom is the application of the knowledge. Now, I was thinking about some kind of way that I could illustrate this, because it's maybe a little difficult to get our hands around uh, what I've said thus far. But let me ask you if you've had this experience, and I'm, I'm not wanting you to raise your hands, but have you ever had the experience 
that in the recent past you did something that you knew you shouldn't have done. Somehow or another, you uh, disobeyed God. Some temptation, some situation, and, and you knew you'd done the wrong thing. And then before you know it, a crisis looms up in your life and you need to pray. You need God's help. And you get ready to pray and you hear this little voice that says, you can't pray, you've sinned. You can't ask God for anything, you don't deserve it. You need to, to, to spend a couple of days living right before you can pray with confidence. Now, it's interesting that the Apostle John actually recognizes that exact same scenario in, in his first John letter when he says, Beloved, even if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. <laughs> you know, he, he's envisioning that same scenario. But, and again, don't raise your hand, but just think in your minds, how many of you have had that experience? I've had that experience. I know what that's like. The devil just beats you up. And, friends, if we don't come through in that situation and cry out to God for help anyway, it's because we do not understand the truth. Right doctrine informs our experience in that situation. God loves us. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for us. It covers our sin. Even the one you did yesterday. It covers that sin. Now, you and God may need to have a conversation about that real soon and get back on the same page. But that is not the basis on which you approach the throne of grace. You approach the throne of grace on the basis of the shed blood, not your performance. Do you see how important it is to have right doctrine in your mind? in order to deal with the opposition and lies of the enemy and to make a good choice. In this case, God, I may have messed up yesterday, but I really need your help right now. And we can talk about that when we get time, but I need help. And to know that God loves me. And He does not base the dispensation or the dispensing of His grace on my performance. He bases it on, on faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And even if my heart condemns me, God is bigger than my heart. There are many situations that we get into in life where if we understand the truth and can apply it by faith, we will be able to make a wise decision. When you get your paycheck, what kind of decision do you make when you get that? Do you really believe Jesus when He says, don't lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust can, can corrupt and thieves can break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in, in heaven or don't lay up upon the earth, but lay them up in heaven because there they're inaccessible to destruction. They're eternal. They have significance. Do you really believe <coughs> that, 
reaching the world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ is more important than a flat screen television? Do you believe that with all your heart? Does your right understanding of biblical truth inform your behavior? And I'm not saying that it's wrong to have the other things, but what I'm saying is, do you have your priorities in in alignment? And are you talking to God about them? Do you have the truth informing your actions? This is what Paul is praying for. He's saying, I want the truth of the gospel to inform your behavior. I want you to make wise decisions because you're filled with an understanding of the will of God. Because you know what He's after. You're on His team. You perceive His goals. And that's what you have embraced with your heart. Now, as we get on further into this prayer, we're going to see the results of a life uh, that, that is lived as a result of being filled with the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But I want to ask you this morning, based on the things that we've said, how is your prayer life? How are you doing in in the way that you're praying, the kinds of things that you're seeking? Are you asking for the knowledge of God's will? Are you wanting uh, His desires to be accomplished? Are you laying hold of heaven on behalf of people and asking God to show you how to pray? God, what do you want to do here? How do you want to work in this situation? And I believe that when I pray in that way, God does amazing things that, I, that I'm not capable of doing, that He actually takes action. I'll tell you what, I have prayed many times. I guess uh, if I gave Him a chance, Stephen could testify, but I'm not going to give Him a chance. But, <laughs> but, um, but I have prayed many times for my sons from the time they were small. You know, there's times when they can just tune you out whoop, and... Pull the screens and shut the door, leave the room, especially as they get older, you know. You can just yamp, 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 and it just, uh, I can't hear you. I have my ears plugged. I don't know what you're saying. But I pray, God, speak to the heart. And I pray Scripture. And I ask the Holy Spirit to do something inside that I cannot do outside. And I believe He does that. And there's nowhere you can go to get away from God. I believe He acts. When I pray for lost people, I pray Scripture. And I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is acting in their heart. In ways that I cannot see, but in ways that I by faith believe that God is doing as He is preparing the soil of their heart because He longs for everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so as we pray and join God in the expansion of the kingdom, God takes us seriously and joins with us in bringing to pass those things that we pray aright. Father, I pray this morning that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we would seek the mind of Christ, that we would be filled up with right understanding of who you are and what you're doing. And Lord, that as a result of that, our lives would be effective and delightful and powerful because they are filled by your Spirit. 
Teach us, Lord, to pray aright. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.